Hello, everybody, uh, and Kia ora. So this is our second webinar uh, in the series, and today we will go through uh, the asset preservation and renewal modeling framework and the tool in more detail. Welcome, everybody, and thanks for joining us. My name is Ekaterina. I'm a communications officer at Austroads, and I will be moderating today's session. First of all, I would like to acknowledge the Australian Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people as the custodians of the land from which we are broadcasting today. I pay my respect to elders past, present and emerging. I also acknowledge the Treaty of Waitani and Maori as the original people of New Zealand. A little bit about Austroads. Uh, we are the collective of Australasian transport and traffic agencies, and our focus is to support our member organizations to deliver an improved road transport network. The project that we are focusing on today was delivered under the Transport Infrastructure Program, which is managed by Ross Garpi. Um, so a bit of housekeeping. Um, today's session uh, is a little bit longer than usual. So our presenters will speak for one hour and 15 minutes, and then we will have 15 minutes for the Q&A at, at the end of the session. So we should finish um, at around 2.30 p.m. So the report uh, and the slides that this presentation is based on can be downloaded from the handout section of your sidebar, which you will find on the right-hand side of your screen. There's also a question section there, so please use it to send us your questions at any stage during the webinar. If your question relates to any particular slide, please include the number of that slide in your message to help us answer your question as best as we can. Um, you can also use that same questions box if you have any technical problems, but just a quick tip, if you lose sound or your picture freezes, the issue is most likely with your connection. So closing your browser, and rejoining the session via your um, email registration link usually helps. This session has been recorded and we will let you know when the recording is available on our website. And if you listen to podcasts, you can also find Austroads in your podcast app. Um, so today's webinar is presented by Chin Don Lee uh, from Main Roads Western Australia, Liam Terris from Transport for New South Wales, and the team from ARB, uh, Dr. Tim Martin, Renita Sen, and Tarun Tool. So we will first hear from Chin Don Lee, who will introduce the team and provide uh, a project overview. Dr. Tim Martin uh, will do a recap of challenges. Um, he will explain the focus of today's session, and at the end of the session, he will present um, concluding remarks. Ching Don Lee and Liam Terris will share practices uh, used in their jurisdictions, and Renita Sen and Tarun Tool will cover the tool, treatments, uh, and further case studies. Um, during this session, uh, as well, our presenters will address some of the questions we received in the first webinar. All the answers were emailed to those who attended uh, the session last week, but we've also provided uh, the PDF uh, of the answers as a handout today, so you can download it from your handout section. Um, okay, and let's get started, and I will now um, hand over to Chindon. So in the next section, I will provide some background information of this project. The work was done by the team from Australian Road Research Board, with Tyrone Tu as the project lead and Dr. Tim Martin as the mentor in the team. I'm the project manager from the Australia side. This was a very complex project involving lots of stakeholder consultations, which was very challenging during this global pandemic. The team quickly adapted to the new normal to keep the communication line open. I would like to take this opportunity to thank the team for their passion on the work 
and for their professionalism. The report has been reviewed according to standard outsource procedures. The project working group come from the most of the state's road jurisdiction. I will not go through the individual names. On behalf of Austros, I thank you all for your contributions. However, there's one name I'd like to mention, Tom McHugh, who initiated and managed the first half of the project before his retirement from Main Roads WA. Without his efforts, we will not be able to have this webinar. So thank you very much, Tom. So why the project? As asset managers, we're facing a few very common challenges, such as due to the aging and the expansion of the network, we have to do more with less. We're experiencing loss of corporate knowledge as older generations are retiring. For example, in Main Roads AA, incapability to retain staff with adequate skill and knowledge was rated as the highest risk to the organization. Although we have put lots of efforts on getting new generation into the asset management field, but the lack of clarity in understanding range of the treatment options or the strategies leads to poor decisions. On top of that is that our funding needs based more and more public scrutiny. How can we effectively seal the message? After extensive discussion among the answer task force members, it was agreed that it would be very useful to have a document that can provide guidance on how to develop optimal asset preservation and renewal strategies through a whole-of-life cost analysis, including the old agency cost and the user cost as well. And we also think the project would provide a unique opportunity to capture the best practice. Therefore, the junior asset managers can use it as a practical guide. The project would also undertake some case studies. They will provide appealing asset management stories to assist our stakeholders better understand the risk level to the community under different funding scenarios. So that's why we did this project. Now, I pass over to Dr. Tim Martin for the next section of webinar. Over to you, Tim. Thank you very much, uh, Chin Dong, for that introduction. Um, yes, my role is just briefly to introduce the uh, re recap of the challenges of this project and the focus of today's presentation. The review of the challenges of this project are really very much focused on the importance of timely preventative interventions, such as, you know, which is essentially maintenance and rehabilitation, and the undertaking of more significant work, such as in improving capacity and uh, in, in, which is more capital oriented where it's essential. So it's about focusing the efforts on what, when it needs to be done and what sort of treatment it is. And uh, yeah, that's what it's about. Guiding principles on this are about maintaining an outcome focus, and which is driven often in most cases by the Australia's Guide to Asset Management about the focus is on the customer as much as can be possibly done, and balancing economic efficiency 
that's reducing uh, the overall life cycle costs of these things and equity to all users. Um, the examples of practice used by road authorities will be given by um, Main Roads Western Australia Chindong and uh, Transport for New South Wales Liam Terrace later on in the presentation. They will be focusing on their asset, asset preservation and renewal practices that they use. Uh, and also in terms of addressing um, user needs and guidance and tools, which will be done by the um, crew from, Aust uh, from road, Australian Road Research Board, which use uh, road deterioration works effects models in this uh, life cycle costing model we have, which is these models have been based on a, long, a lot of observation for um, uh, to develop the models for both deterioration works effects and there's a, a number of treatment op options which have been uh, modelled through e experimental work and uh, the, this, this is what's helped uh, examine the three, um, um, this, the eight case studies that have been looked at. What do we need to control? Uh, we need to control the um, deterioration of the pavement. That's the essential thing and it's the main pro uh, approach here is a stitch in time. In other words, intervention when it's appropriate. As you can see the graph, the plot here is showing you uh, several options about how to manage the pavement. Obviously, uh, to uh, minimise rates of deterioration, there's a need to intervene. You can see there at a point where maintenance is or resurfacing occurs where it makes some change to the actual surface condition but it probably doesn't change much in terms of rates of deterioration. Rates of deterioration are generally influenced by the type of treatment and in this case uh, this is this is what has to be judged about whether the type of treatment's worth the expenditure at the time it's applied for the kind of traffic levels that are going on. Anyway the pavement does continue uh, through various uh, re re resurfacing modes through the whole of its life until it gets to a point where it has to have major work such as a, a major rehabilitation or a, a reconstruction. Um, it's, it's a balance. Uh, let's have a look at here. We've got uh, the balance is between the economic efficiency by producing minimum transport costs which is the sum of the agency's maintenance costs and road user costs, as you can see from that little graph there on the left-hand side. Um, the, as, as the agency spends more money, it produces a, a better surface, which reduces road user costs. And there, there can be a sweet spot there or the Goldilocks zone, which uh, produces minimum transport costs. However, uh, one way of trying to manage this, because in most cases, uh, budgets are heavily constrained is to uh, try and provide uh, gradated levels of service to the road users, usually based on the levels of traffic that's experienced on those types of roads. As you can see, an equitable standard would, as you as that on the right-hand side, as that rotates towards the horizontal, you are having equitable standards, but we're trying to balance here economic efficient standards with equitable standards, and that's only, it's essentially driven by the amount of money that's, that can be spent in order to achieve these these outcomes. Now I now have to pass over to Chindong Lee from Main Roads Western Australia to talk about his practices. Thank you very much. Thank you, Tim. In the next section, I will discuss some of the Main Roads WA practice.
that support the finding and the recommendation discussed in the report. So these are some statistics of our network. Uh, we're managing around 19,400 kilometers carriage way road state road network, covers two and a half billion square kilometers land. With a population only 2.7 million, you can imagine our resources stretched pretty thin. So the challenge we face is to maintain a large and a diverse network with very limited funds. How can we develop optimal maintenance strategy to prolong the answer to life? It's a very challenge. Our maintenance strategy was built on keep good road good principle and supported by using maintenance costing data to support our decision making. The approach is in line with the conclusions B and D discussed in the chapter six of the report. So conclusion B basically is you try to avoid worst first approach for maintenance planning. The conclusion D is you need to collect and utilize your maintenance cost data in your decision making process. The basic of our principle is to avoid permanent deterioration into the uncontrolled phase, which is discussed by the team in the last section. So how does the keep good roads, good principle work in main roads? We give the highest priority to resurfacing work in our annual funding allocation in the last few years, as we believe by waterproofing the network, the whole of life costing cross network can be minimized and the permanent asset life can be extended. The key is to find out the tipping point. That's the optimal timing for interim. In 2017, we conducted a statewide routine maintenance cost analysis. This data has come from our maintenance management information system. All our contractors and the inspectors need to use this system to record the defects and repairs undertaken. We found this data is extremely useful to help us understand the performance of the network to help us identify the hotspots. This chart is the outcome of the analysis. So the x-axis is the remain life of the surface based on calibrated up under hardening model. When you see the zero remain life, which is exactly the surface reached the predicted uh, useful life of the surface. When you see the negative figure, which is already past the time for the intervene based on the model. The Y axis is the annual average maintenance cost, basically the routine maintenance cost. The higher the number, the worse the condition. You can see in this zone, basically the cost is very even. But when you passed four years past predicted life, the curve become very steep, which means that you get into the high maintenance cost phase. The reason that the surface defects during this period leads to heavily cracked surface and the water get into the permanent 
the impairment does start to deteriorate. So the defects come from surface defects turn into pavement defects, which require much more extensive repairs. So this is the tipping point we are looking for. If we can resurface the pavement before this tipping point, we believe the majority of that work can get into a slow or gradual deterioration phase, then the pavement life can be extended. We have incorporated this finding in our deterioration model and use this figure in our strategic asset management plan to justify the keep good road good principle. The report also talks about using the whole of life costing scenario analysis in storytelling. So how does Mayroads do it? Using Mayroads payment management system, we conducted scenario analysis. In this case, we did in late 2020, five scenarios was involved. This includes do nothing, unlimited funding. Current funding is a fixed allocation, which is the traditional way how we do it. Then current funding with optimal location, which is the modeling without the based, the needs-based allocation. Then the surface-only approach. Purpose of this analysis was to test our maintenance strategy and explore how to use the results of the scenario analysis to better selling the message to the public and to the other stakeholders, like Treasury. The role of the put of the modeling is in the table format, which people of non-engineering background probably very hard to understand. Using ArcGIS story maps, our modeling specialist, Delinda, and the senior GIS mapping consultant, Mac, work together to develop a proof concept interactive map-based report. We believe this report can lead the great potential to sell our message to get other pe people with non-engineering background understand what we are trying to do. So let's go to the live report. Seems life doesn't work now. <laughs> Sorry, let's go to the slides. So this report, just like a normal report, but it's built on the ArcGIS online uh, platform. The main character of this report is that we have the interactive map, which presents the modeling result to the audience. So you can see here, We have the slide, which when you move the slide, it shows different funding scenario and a different time. For example, here, this, the map on the right hand is the network condition in 2020 
in our metropolitan region. You can see a lot of amber and red, which is the field section in the poor or very poor condition. So look at pretty not very good at the present day, 2020. But if you apply the surfacing only strategy, as I mentioned before, we very emphasis on the surfacing work. So if we allocate all the funding to the surfacing, what will happen? So if we adopt this strategy in 2030, the most of the network become green. So which means that this strategy works. But does it work everywhere? This is a one rural road in our wheat belt region. On the, the map on the right hand is the 2020 condition. It's not ideal, but still some little bit red, but not too bad. But if we apply this resurfacing only strategy after 10 years in 2030, you can see a lot of red here, which means that the strategy doesn't work on this road. The reason that in our rural environment, because we have a very limited resource, so we build some very same pavement with a marginal material. So under the, the traffic, sometimes we got the mining operation. So it did a lot of rehabilitation work because of the low traffic loading. So this strategy resurface only is good in general, but we still needed some rehabilitation money to deal with some specific case. So that's how we use this map based interaction report to justify our funding requirements. Okay, I think that's the all from the West. Now I pass over to Lim. He will talk about the practice in transport for New South Wales. So you'll see a lot of similarities between the approach in uh, Western Australia and what I'm going to cover here in this presentation in New South Wales. So just setting the context a little bit here for you. So I'm only talking about the New South Wales um, rural state road network. Um, transport for New South Wales is divided into Greater Sydney and the regional and outer metro areas. So I'm only talking about the regional and outer metro network. So our road network is 17,930 carriageway kilometres and 72% of the network has a sprayed seal surface. Uh, we also have almost 20%, uh, 16.8% asphalt surfaced, in the, mostly in the Newcastle, Wollongong, and on some of the uh, major national network. So our network's fairly old, 27% of pavements are older than 50 years. So these are particular, uh, we have particular interest in ensuring that these older sections of road continue to perform the level of service expected of them. And also, um, importantly, 33% of the roads are located within high and moderate rainfall areas, mostly in the coastal area, but they carry two thirds of the traffic volume. So again, these present a much greater risk to us because they have much heavier vehicle loading, um, heavy vehicle loading, and as well as um, 
uh, being in high rainfall locations. So similar to what Quindong was saying, our goal is to achieve customer service requirements, the lowest life cycle cost. Um, very much we're focusing on the customer um, outcomes. Um, so we need to have some insight into what customers expect, what they consider to be a satisfactory road. Um, we know from our surveys that they want to drive on smooth roads, wide roads and pothole free roads. So we try to build that into the customer levels of service framework, which I'll cover in a moment. We very much have a road safety focus um, and it's a risk-based approach as well. So to help us do that, we have a pavement management system. In our case, we use DTIMS to ensure the best possible funding allocations between our three regional um, regions. Uh, and this helps us to develop a pavement program that maximizes customer value at the lowest life cycle cost. So as Quindong mentioned, really in simple terms, we try to keep good roads in good condition. So this is our asset preservation preventative strategy that we try to employ. Uh, slow the pavement deterioration so that we don't end up with this sort of situation or we try to minimise the length of road that um, reaches the end of life. We try to extend the life as long as possible while still maintaining the expectation of our customers to drive on these smooth, wide, pothole-free roads. So how do we do that exact exactly? So the first thing is when we define customer service levels, they're very much based on asset condition appropriate for the road section. So we need to subdivide our road network into um, what we call subnetworks, going from low traffic, um, high freight demand to um, high traffic and high freight demand. Um, and we're also considering the speed environment, obviously low speed environments, less of a safety risk than high speed. And we've uh, set up this matrix where we have customer level service A over here as being the highest um, standard that we apply to the road network. We think this, these provide um, levels of service that are fit for purpose, uh, right through to customer level E, which is the lowest, less stringent uh, set of performance requirements. Then uh, it's very important to take all of the technical parameters, the distresses that we're measuring on the network and um, and we relate that to these five level condition bands. Um, this helps us tell a story and it also helps convert a lot of these technical parameters and technical jargon that we might use into just a common five level condition um, banding, which helps us communicate and justify um, budget requests and explain how the network's actually performing. Very good is near new condition. We try to intervene, keep good roads in good condition. We try to intervene while roads are still in a good condition. Um, it might slip into the fair condition, which is quite reasonable as well. We call this a late preventative condition level. Um, again, trying to keep these roads in, the, in an acceptable condition as, for as long as possible. Um, once we get into the poor and very poor um, condition bands, this is starting to represent a risk to the level of service that we're providing to our customers. So we really want to try to avoid or to uh, restrict the length of road network that is in poor or very poor condition. So we look to really try to intervene to manage some of those um, sections that might be performing um, poorly and is not meeting customer uh, service levels. And customers generally start to complain when it's in very poor condition. 
So we further to sort of link all this together, we, we take the five condition customer levels of condition. The green line here is customer level service A, which is the highest standard right through to customer level E, which was the lowest standard. Um, and we could take, this is an example here of the IRI. So we're taking the technical measurement of IRI and translating that to a common five level condition scale here from very good through to very poor. So this translates these technical parameters using customer levels of service to set different threshold points. So here you can say, you can see when it reaches the poor condition level, it's basically an IRI of 4.2 on these high trafficked, high important uh, roads through to IRI five on the lower ranked roads. But we're looking to intervene this preventative intervention level to keep good roads in good condition. Generally we're intervening around 2.5 through to 4.2. So this is the ideal area that we're trying to intervene. And then the other important aspect that we want to try to do is manage the risk to um, unpredictable um, performance. Um, so we, we measure the structural capacity of our pavements. For, we're in a fortunate position where we gather network level information on the strength of our pavements. And this gives us good insight into the level of risk and the potential widespread loss of condition that might arise following heavy or prolonged rainfall. So we really want to um, consider uh, in this case, where we've estimated the structural remaining life is less than five years, we have a medium level of concern there. And when it reaches two years, we have a high level of concern. The other benefit of looking at structural capacity, um, it is a risk indicator for us, um, but we also find we can apply lower cost treatments for rough roads where the pavement is strong. So we have lots of sections of road where it's providing poor functional performance but the structural, um, the, the strength of the pavement actually is, is quite good. So that means we can do lighter rehabs or surfacing treatments and ensure that we have cost-effective treatments that are being applied. So the, um, the report did an analysis, um, a case study based on the New South Wales State Road Network, and it made some findings in terms of what it considered to be these target maximum roughness levels. Um, so at these traffic volumes, 2,250 AADT through to 4,000, it found that the economic trigger point was 4 to 3.5. This compares quite well with our previous work that we've done and the modelling that we've, we've also undertaken, where our preventative intervention levels are about 4.2 to 2.5. So you can see that it's very similar, but our traffic levels are much higher than this 4,000. Uh, Subnetwork 5 and 6 um, often exceed more than 12,000 vehicles a day. Um, Subnetwork ones are around 350. And when we looked at 350, 250 here, the, the intervention level from the, um, the report was of IRI of around five, and we're intervening at about 4.2 at the maximum level. So there is a good alignment between what we've done previously and the work um, that was done as part of this report, which gives you some confidence that the um, the PLCC tool that was developed for this work actually um, there's some level of comfort and assurance that you, you can have that it's, it's giving results that have been confirmed by other methods. So I just want to echo the words of um, Quindong as well. Our focus very much, our highest priorities on resealing our road network. 
and ensuring that um, we adequately waterproof um, our extensive sprayed seal network. So these lower cost preservation treatments are absolutely critical to ensure that we minimise whole of life costs and keep roads in good condition for as long as possible. Um, and these strategies aim to fulfil optimal maximum roughness intervention limits needed to accomplish need with, with a timely resealing strategy. So we're very much focused on roughness trigger levels and adequate waterproofing. So this is another transformation um, relationship here, taking the percentage of the network that's cracked, converting it again to the five level condition rating. And as you can see, four to 6% we consider poor and we're like trying to intervene somewhere around two and a half to 4.6% of the network um, of a segment being cracked. So we're trying to intervene early to ensure that there's adequate waterproofing of those pavements. The other thing that we do is um, we try to do pre preparatory works that are bundled together with a capital renewal project like resealing um, so that we do smaller scale interventions to ensure that the surface is in the best possible condition prior to the reseal. So we might do some rut filling, shape correction treatments, heavy patching, crack sealing, retexturing treatments to ensure that the expected surface life of the seal is achieved. So by bundling this together with our reseal locations, all of these works are then capitalised. Often these works when they're done individually are OPEX and we have a bit of pressure on the OPEX program. So this has been a very successful way to ensure that we um, achieve some functional uh, uh, improvements on the, at the reseal locations as well. So when we check against our modelled view and what's actually happening out in the field, obviously we want good alignment because our pavement management system is minimising whole of life costs, it's trying to intervene early, that's part of the asset preservation strategy, whereas when um, our field practitioners go out into the field, the tendency is to look at the worst sections first, and we all know Asset Management 101, that is not going to give a good long-term uh, outcome. So we want them to use the modelling outputs to inform their decisions. Um, and we find there's a good alignment between um, what DTIMS in our case is telling us where the money needs to be spent and where we ultimately agree with our regional um, asset managers where the money needs to go. Um, and at the project level, again, there's a good alignment between um, the individual projects that have been selected by DTIMS and where regions have selected. So they're quite good numbers. The rehab one is a little lower, but what we've found is that 97% um, of the locations where DTIMS has selected a rehab, there's also, um, sorry, 97% of the locations where regions have selected a rehab, DTIMS has also selected some sort of intervention. So when we look at the reseal locations, you'll find that half of the um, segments identified by DTIMS have a cracking trigger present, which um, obviously is very much about waterproofing these pavements. So this is about protecting the asset. 49% are triggered on cracking. Um, about 18% down here uh, relates to holding seals. So this might be some roughness issues. The pavement life, the structural life of the pavement is low. There might be some rutting issues. So this is where we can bundle those other type of activities, heavy patching, shape correction, type treatments with the reseal to try to address some of that, or we might just be waiting for a rehab location. So we just want to hold the condition while we can find the funds down the line to actually do a, a rehab treatment. 
And then also importantly, you know, 23% of sites have low skid resistant surface texture. So we want to make sure that the surfacing continues to provide a good skid resistant surface for road safety reasons. Um, and so there's 23% of sites fall into that category. And then just as a fallback, we have an age-based trigger. So most of our interventions triggers are based on condition, but there is 16% of locations that we've intervened because that the seal is very old and that's a proxy for um, binder oxidization. The binder is likely to be brittle. So there's an increased risk that we'll have loss of condition over the longer time, over the longer term. But interestingly, when we've intervened, only 6% of sites have more than one of these condition triggers present. So really we are intervening quite often just on one of these um, and there's not often multiple um, triggers. So what did we find in terms of um, a comparison with some of the conclusions in the report? Um, so on page 35, there were some conclusions there. The timely intervention can minimize the long-term total transport cost to the community. So it very much is the timely intervention with the reseals is really important. And in our DTIMs, we are now starting to um, implement a road user cost model as well. So we can uh, assess what the road user cost benefits are and to consider that in the optimization process as well. An optimized asset preservation and renewal strategy that is based on network level whole of life cost analysis. Yes, this is why we use a payment management system can lead to significant net savings. We would absolutely agree with that. Um, I mean, we've got a hell of a lot of data that we have available to us. And the only way that you can realistically use that information to make better evidence-based decisions is by using a pavement management system. And this really avoids the worst first approach. And then finally, um, harnessing and using the road maintenance cost data can empower the agencies to conduct a true comparison when considering the best approach for network options. So we find in the modeling that we've done, that the unit, unit cost information really drives um, massive differences in the predicted outcomes. So focusing on cost-effective treatments, um, varying the, the cost of the work based on the structural strength to achieve the functional outcomes and reducing the unit cost of the work helps us achieve those network outcomes. So we have a very strong emphasis now on looking at the unit rates, because um, we realize how important that is for achieving the, the network coverage that we need to ensure that we continue to meet the network level customer service requirements. So that concludes my part of the presentation today. So just as a reminder, you can pop your questions in there or any comments, feedback that you have. Um, and I'll hand over to Renita for the next part of the presentation. Thank you. Thank you, Liam. Um, good afternoon, everyone. Um, before I go to the main, um, presentation and the demonstration of the tool. I would like to acknowledge the importance of PQ parameters or the practices that has already been uh, presented by our colleagues in WA and also in New South Wales. Some key aspects here are the uses of high quality pavement condition and the structural data in the analysis, and also the application of road specific intervention levels. Every road is, is serving different purpose and might have a different level of service assigned to it. So we need to take that into account when setting up an analysis. And also we need to have multiple treatment options available, including uh, preventative options. And 
as we know that road condition also varies and the performance varies based on where the road is located. And there might be some region specific deterioration that's observed and that needs to be taken into practice as well when um, doing the PLCC analysis. We also know that surfacing life varies by location, um, same as the pavement performance and also surface type. And um, also there might be an increased rate of deterioration when um, the cracking has already been initiated in the pavement. So that sort of uh, post-distress uh, um, post initiations needs to be taken into account when we are doing the modeling. So the PLCC, the Pavement Life Cycle Costing Demonstration Tool, was developed to put into practice all the principle that has already been discussed by team and Chindong and Aliam. So out, um, the section three of the report outlines the adapted framework and supporting tools and the models. So the focus here was the use of the long-term uh, cost rather than a short-term cost. Also at the same time, using evidence-based pavement deterioration models, taking uh, different treatment intervention and seeing its effect on the road user cost. On my right are the components of the PLCC tool. Uh, I will describe about this a bit later during my presentation. So now back to the main screen of the PLCC tool. This is the control panel from where we run all the analysis. There are three analyses that are currently being run from PLCC. One is the base life analysis, then the alternative life analysis, and then an economic analysis. The outputs can also be accessed from the main menu. So uh, on my right are the different components of the PLCC tool. These are main menu, then the user settings, then advanced settings, inputs, and outputs. So the PLCC comes with features, some of which are user-defined and some are fixed. The user-defined features are, of course, the input data which is the road condition data, road inventory, traffic, and other ancillary information. Then comes the climate information in terms of average, maximum or minimum temperature, and also thorn weight moisture index. Then is the road classification. This is the road hierarchy, and road classification is used in setting up appropriate level of services and also appropriate calibration factors if required. Then setting up the analysis here and also the CPI and also discount rate, et cetera. These are all done by the end users. As a part of the PLCC tool, we have included road iteration and work effect models developed uh, by Osroads. These are no, widely known as the Osroads RD models. The models are currently fixed, um, and but uh, the modeling calibration factors can be varied. We have also introduced a related performance factors, which decides like when cracking goes up to up to a certain, up to a certain level, it then uh, initiates the accelerated progression for roughness and rotting. So the users have the option to turn on and off the use of related performance factors. We have currently applied three generic treatments in PLCC. Those are resurfacing, rehabilitation, and reconstruction. The treatment triggers and unit rates are configurable, but the treatments, the, those are fixed, but the rates and the triggers are configurable. 
There are also controls for applying shape correction, nail and peel, and other holding treatments. As a part of the modeling suit, we have um, a, a, we have also coded in PLCC the road user cost model. Road user cost model is actually a combination of vehicle operating cost and also additional travel time cost for rough roads. There are also um, switches there to turn on and off the use of it. Then comes the analysis, execution, and output. Outputs refreshes after each run. The outputs currently come in a tabular form, but there are options to copy paste it uh, externally and then manipulate it using graphs and charts. And then as a part of the analysis, economic indicators in terms of total transport cost and also marginal benefit by cost ratio is also calculated. So the process of PLCC analysis involves selection of the base scenario and other possible alternative scenario, then analyzing to assess each of these options, then quantifying each of these options in terms of road user cost, road agency cost, and total transport cost, and then identifying the fit for purpose option by looking at the total transport cost and marginal benefit by cost ratio. The outputs are, are shown here. The detailed results comes with tracking of the nine parameters over the 50-year period. Those are traffic, strength, cracking, roughness, rutting, also that whether a treatment has been applied or not as a flag, and um, the treat related road agency cost, road user cost, et cetera. So as a part of the demonstration, I'm going to show you the case A here. Case A is also included in the report. So case study A is actually based on the observations from the LTPPM side from Victorian Western Highway. What we are trying to model here is two options. One is a minimum treatment and how it compares against a, 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 a desired maintenance, which is um, intervening when it is actually required. We have also tested um, it for the modified cell and also unmodified cell. So on the left is the time series uh, roughness progression for the LTPP site in Victoria for two sections, S1 and S2, where S1 is the minimum maintenance and S2 is the desired maintenance. And on the right left is how we try to replicate it in the PLCC tool. As you can see here, for, from, the, uh, from the minimum maintenance and also from the alternative ones, the, uh, the alternate maintenance shows a much flatter progression. And we tried to capture the same thing in PLCC by controlling the calibration factors. So now I will go to the demonstration of the PLCC tool. So the PLCC tool comes with four um, tabs on the left where it gives the end user and step-by-step -step guidance like how to navigate through different sheets and also how to populate different user-definable parameters. The first one is the all about the PLCCDT. It introduces each of the individual sheets 
that's included here and how to navigate through and what's included in each of these. Then comes the access setting. So the access setting here tells you what are the features that are available for you to control as an analyst. What we try to achieve here is to give you the evidence-based road deterioration models and fixing those and then allowing you to change um, input data, change your treatment triggers, change unit cost, and then getting useful output. The reason for protecting uh, the models are, the models are quite complex in terms of the coding and we did not want any accidental um, problem with the models and eventually the tool will probably fall apart. So that's why we fix those for an analyst level access. But you also have access to the detailed results, uh, uh, summary results and the economic analysis, which can be later copied somewhere else and manipulated further. The user tips um, and quick guides takes you through all the user definable features in various um, sheets and, and tells you what are the cells that are available for you to change and the others that you cannot change. It also talks about the detailed output and, and also notes on the economic indicator, how different uh, eco economic indicators were created. As a part of this case A, we have given you a bit of background on the case A itself and how we try to capture different uh, rate of progression for different scenarios. These are all included in the report uh, as well, published as a part of this project. So now to the main menu. From this main menu, we control and run different analyses. I will come back to it later. First, I'd like to take you through the user settings. So this whole user setting sheet is configurable by the end user. So to begin with, you set up your analysis where you give the analysis a name and also the start year and different years for base year for the road agency cost, road issue, the cost, crash related costs, etc. On the right, you select the deterioration models. Currently, we only have the network level deterioration models in place. Then the calculation of the structural calculation method, depending on what type of data you have. If you have deflection data available, you select deflection. If you have um, SN information and CBR information available, you select that. Uh, otherwise, you just put a default and uh, none, and the default value is assigned. Then the traffic analysis, uh, again, you select here whether you have a 12-class vehicle count or a representative five-class vehicle count. Then here, we decide whether we are going to use the related performance factors uh, for accelerated progression or not. So for the network level, you either select yes or no. And also you have the option to select additional travel time costs, inclusion of additional travel time cost in the analysis. Then under road class setting, we set up the road class naming. This road class namings uh, are used to control what trigger or intervention criteria that we apply also at the same time what calibration factors do we apply? So for this uh, particular case A, we wanted to achieve different rate of progression for our do minimum and also the desired strategies. So we, this uh, 
four cases, A1, 2, 3, and 4 are actually the four sections. And then we have duplicated those road classes to alternative A1, 2, 3, and 4. The only reason is we wanted to use a different uh, calibration factors for the models. I will show it in details when I go to that bound settings tab. Then we have the speed and the speed compliances. Here we have some numbers here. If you have your own, feel free to put the numbers. Otherwise, you can use this as a default. Then the climate zone lookup table. Here we are using Victoria Midnot. And once you uh, uh, assign this Victoria Midnot name or whatever name you have here, it automatically populates the name here. And then you have to put the uh, maximum minimum temperature and also the on-weight moisture index. Then we have the 12-class vehicle uh, classes here and also payload associated with this and ESA. Again, uh, this comes as a default. Yeah, you can change it if you have other numbers. So here we have the representative five-class vehicles, same as uh, the earlier ones, but slightly uh, like a smaller combination. Then here is the base intervention parameter. Based on the road classes we selected uh, um, above, here we all automatically get those names. Here we have eight different road classes. And then we start setting up the treatment intervention. Here we, for the base case, we have used a minimum resurfacing uh, uh, interval of 16 year, 20 year. And um, for, uh, for an alternative case, we 2025, and we are testing different options. And in terms of IRI, for this uh, do minimum strategy, we wanted to uh, test like extremes, like give, uh, allowing a moderately high IRI for some situations and a very high IRI of eight uh, for some situations. These are the do minimum situation. And in the desired uh, strategy, we put an IRI of four. So here are the treatment rules. You can decide whether you would like to turn on the holding treatments or not. They're currently ES. And then also there are thickness for each of these holding treatments. In the alternative um, treatment intervention, we have slightly lower numbers, of course, because these are the desired values. So we had 16 uh, um, year resurfacing intervals for base case, whereas we're here we are using eight years followed by 10 years as a maximum. And then for rehabilitation IRI, we are using a desired strategy here. It is four IRI. And for reconstruction, 5.2 IRI. And same goes for the other parameters as well. Again, there are options um, to select a holding treatment or not. For an alternative strategy, we decided not to select a holding treatment. Then comes the treatment effects uh, for each of the three treatments we set up here, resurfacing, rehabilitation, and reconstruction, we have assigned the treatment resets for roughness, rotting, cracking, and strength. These are default values. Um, and also here comes the treatment cost. Uh, the users, of course, uh, would, would be encouraged to use their own cost rates because um, unit rates might vary depending on where we are in Australia and what type of treatment we are applying. So these rates are all user-definable. Then comes the input um, data quality, which is with, whether you, your payment age is known and whether it's an estimate or how the data was collected and so on. And based on this input data quality, a reliability index is, uh, is 
calculated automatically. So now to the advanced setting tab. In the advanced setting tab, the main thing that the user can control is the use of the network level modeling factors. If you remember, like I said earlier, we set up eight classes, but only difference between the first four classes and their last four was the use of the different calibration factors that we wanted to achieve. And we achieved it here. Like uh, for blue minimum strategy, we have a rotting um, calibration factor of three, but for the alternative strategies, we have calibration factor of one. Same goes for roughness as well. Uh, we have used 1.25 uh, and um, 0.6 for the alternative strategies. So under network level modeling factor, we have some other parameters like network level performance factors that are currently fixed and couldn't be changed by the user, but they are just here in case you are interested to have a look. We also have the VOC parameters, uh, vehicle operating cost parameters from ATAP study, Australian Transport Assessment and Planning. And we also have uh, the parameters for the TTC, which is the additional travel time cost for the rough roads. So these are all currently fixed and cannot be changed by the analyst. So once we have set up all these user setting parameters and advanced setting parameters, then we come to the input master table. Here we put our data. So the, here we have eight rows. Only difference between the first four rows and the last four, uh, the, uh, uh, they belong to different road class so that we can assign different um, calibration factors. The rest of them are exactly the same. Once uh, you put your uh, thickness here, and then if you have deflection data, you put it there. And uh, if you selected your strength calculation to be based on deflection in the user setting, you need to make sure that you have deflection data here. In our case, we did not have deflection data, so we used SNC and CBR uh, to calculate uh, the SNC note. So you, as you can see, SNC and CBR values are here. Then we put all these uh, traffic in terms of vehicle classification and calculated ADT based on that. And then you also need to put here when the section was last resurfaced or rehabilitated or last reconstruction. So once we finish this, uh, populating this input master table, then we come to the main menu. And um, under main menu, then you will start running each of the analysis. First we run the base analysis, then the alternative, and then the economic analysis. The outputs can also be accessed from here, but I, I will show you the output separately from the tab directly. So this, there is a detailed results. So as I shown in my presentation earlier, it tracks the performance of nine parameters over a 50-year period. So our analysis started in 2019, so it goes till 2069. And um, we, we flag also if there is a treatment that happens, and treatments are currently coded. So if, if you see a 6-2 code, what it means, it's also here. So it says that there was a reconstruction done that was triggered by roughness. So similar to this detailed result base, we have the detailed results for the alternative scenarios as well. And PLC also produces summary results. Summary results are just like a one line representation for each section. It tells you what is the first treatment and what is the first structural and first surfacing treatment. And based on when that treatment is happening, 
it tells you what is the remaining life for your surface. It just calculates um, by considering today's year, like the analysis start year and when the next reconstruction is required and gives us the number accordingly. And same goes for the remaining surface life. So um, summary results for the alternative scenario as well. And then we um, PLCs also produces um, works program uh, for both um, base and alternative scenario. And works program actually tabulates all the work that needs to be done for each section and based on when it is happening. So for this section one, for example, there is one um, reconstruction in 2031 followed by another reconstruction is 2048 and then 2062. So um, the results of the economic analysis are also shown here. The economic indicators in our case is a present value of the base, uh, um, a road agency cost, present value of the road user cost, and present value of the total transport cost, both for base and also for alternative scenario. So um, for this particular case A, what we, because we try to achieve a different calibration factors, for our sections while when using the base case and also alternative case. So what we have done, we have compared the total transport cost for the base for the first four row with the total transport cost alternative for the last four row. And then we calculated um, the economic uh, indicators outside of PLCC tool. I will just take you through those results now. So back to my... Um, presentation again. So this, these are the results that's coming out of the demonstration of the case A. So what we see, the highest total transport cost is achieved for an unmodified seal and with a an heavily constrained eight IRI intervention level. And the lowest um, total transport cost is achieved for an alternative case where um, with the modified seal, and where the IRA, desired IRA intervention of 4.2 was used. In all the four cases, TTC saving has been achieved for the alternative case. That means doing an early intervention was beneficial. And we also had for the alternative case, the negative road agency cost. That means road agencies will be actually saving money by intervening earlier. And this, um, the, the reflection, this reflects in the negative MBCER values. So here, the negative marginal cost benefit means that intervene, you can only save money in this case by intervening earlier. So which means the stitch in time here is the key. And if we leave something for later, thinking that it will save money, we'll actually end up spending more. That's, that's what has been shown here. So TTC in this case has been minimized by doing an earlier intervention using a modified cell, though the difference between uh, alternative A3 and A4 is not that much. So the main point that we are seeing here is like uh, intervening at the desired uh, level actually kept the condition at a much flatter rate, saved the agency cost and overall gave us a very win-win situation. So th this is the observation from this uh, case A. And um, that's all from me. I will um, now, yeah. So this PLCC templates and also this case study A uh, as a fully populated version is available from download 
for the Oslo's website. Um, we have recently made some updates on the files. So if you have downloaded these files already, I, I would encourage you to download it again today because we have just updated uh, few user tips today. So it would be good if you can have the most recent version. And if you have any inquiries regarding the application of the tool, we encourage uh, communication using the email addresses shown here. Thanks very much. That's all from me for today. Now, Tyrone tool will take you to the selection of the further case study examples. Over to you, Tyrone. Thank you, uh, Renita. And thank you everyone for, for joining today. Uh, what I'd like to do is take you through a, a number of the case studies, just highlighting those that we've not covered already, uh, and also to emphasise some of the, or remind you of the, the scope of the treatments that we can cover. So just given a quick uh, overview of the scope, we talked about minimal maintenance, the importance of minor repairs, potholes, etc. Uh, these are always uh, important in, in such cases. We don't touch on off-carriage repairs, shoulder grading and the like uh, at this point, but could be, they could be involved at some point. The, a big emphasis has been on the performance of the surfacings, and as, uh, as Renita explained, when you take particular cases and you go to that point beyond stitching time as well, the, the key is to calibrate, to check that the observations in the field, your experience in the field, is being reflected in your modelling and to adjust it. Uh, what we had the fortune of is having these long-term pavement performance and pavement performance and maintenance sites to really go through that part. Of course, working with our colleagues in WA and elsewhere around the country, they've got a lot of experience in this as well, and we've built that into the different case studies. At this point, uh, seal widening and shoulder sealing is not uh, included in the tool, but we, we have illustrated in one of the appendices, and I'll touch on it in a moment uh, in a case study about how you could calculate the supplementary benefits, particularly in terms of crash cost savings. Looking again then at some of the heavier treatments, rehabilitation uh, with sprayed seal treatments, of course, uh, uh, they're built in and that was explained by Renita. Resurfacing where it might be appropriate also on asphalt and in many cases an overlay or perhaps a, a mill and replace, again, you can make your selections. Deep lift asphalt might again be another case where the, it might be uh, a mill and replace operation, an asphalt inlay type operation, and again, that can be modelled. The key is to be able to uh, put these options through and control it in, in the tool. Uh, it's very much uh, in your hands. If we look at some of the other cases, uh, holding treatments, as I, as I mentioned earlier, are also in there. Now, before I uh, pitch into the, the couple of case studies, just to pick up on some of the questions uh, put forward in, 
uh, Web 1. Does the model allow for structural capacity? Yes, there is a, a strength uh, input into the modelling and also strength deterioration with traffic and time. Uh, and as a condition of the pavement changes. There is an alternative method we've also proposed that you may wish to check some of your treatment demand, whether you need a structural or a functional type rehabilitation uh, or improvement using an adaptation of the Osteroads Part 5 method. So touching on that, and again, aspects, how does cracking impact deterioration? We've uh, Renita explained where we bring in also the relative performance factors, but also the basis for calibration of the models in the first place. So very much based on your uh, experience, we need to ensure that that comes through into any modeling. Now, I wish to explain two case studies just to give a bit of a brief overview. Uh, case A, uh, Renita covered, I've given some summary of B and C in the previous web. Case D, I mentioned at that point also, and this is one of the very heavily trafficked roads, the Western Ring Road um, uh, around Melbourne uh, in Victoria high strength pavement carrying very high traffic. You can see here the time series data, might not surprise you, or it might surprise some people, that the lane roughness, and you could go across into lane rotting, etc., a very slow of negligible deterioration over a long period of time. Of clearly very high capacity pavements, long life, fit for purpose. The deflection is very low and, and, and again shows little change of time. So you've got very solid structure there, but some aspects of it was deteriorating perhaps in the surface. So again, we were modeling, observing, and then modeling what was happening as you pushed out any delays in intervention where you might have then accelerated cracking. And that would be one of the key indicators that we were aiming to compare. When we then did the analysis, we, we specified different strategies where minimum, uh, aiming to minimize total transport costs with a non-modified seal, uh, intervening in a good condition or intervening in a fair condition, or a modified mix intervening in good or fair, and picking the uh, solution that minimized costs. So again, uh, using the same techniques that uh, Renita explained, going carefully through the design of the case study, how to set it up, etc., but really picking out, in this case, when to intervene. And with these very heavily trafficked roads, as also explained by Liam, you want to get them early eh, and, and really eh, benefit and extend the longevity of the, the, the uh, performance uh, by, by stitching in time. 
If we take another case, and this is an example from the Hunter region in, in, in New South Wales, where we were examining uh, on behalf of the region and the councils up there, the benefits they were estimating for pavement renewal, but we also brought into it the supplementary benefits that could be happening or perhaps might not be measured in the normal calculations if crash reduction measures were placed on these roads. And some of these might be simple measures like improved lines, improved signs, and sealing of the shoulders that may uh, reduce the likelihood of crashes to other heavier treatments, perhaps primary safe system treatments that would uh, reduce the severity of crashes by placing barriers, etc. But the aim in here was actually to get that combination, treatments on their own, the pavement orientated treatments, but then also to consider uh, crash reduction. And this is an, an example where we've demonstrated it before that there are substantial gains to be made. The other aspect to this case study, which we were working with, was really, as you can see here, you've got a road with a really very, very high uh, Nazareth count or IRI. It's about 300 NASRA counts, it's probably about eight IRI, way beyond anything you would think communities would tolerate. And yes, a, an improved renewal of this pavement would bring it down and it would be a slow deterioration. What we were advising the council and the region in is it's not realistic to consider a do nothing in such cases. It's, you at least need to do a holding treatment for the safety, for the sake of the community. Uh, and it would give you a more realistic uh, appraisal of such a circumstance. It was surprising, in fact, that it ever got up to there. So that was one aspect. The second aspect was, as I mentioned, being able to do a simplified crash reduction calculation process and, and estimate those benefits. And what we did there was to take the very sound piece of Ostrode's work of some years ago by McLean and others as unadjusted base crash rates per segment, adjust them by the more recent New Zealand and uh, Australian work on the effectiveness of safe system primary or supporting treatments so that you have either a reduction on crashes and then a reduction on crash severity and value those benefits. The real value that came through in all this is we tripled the NPV, you could say the total transport cost savings, and we doubled the marginal benefit cost ratio. So rather than just thinking it's a warm and cozy feeling, we're saving the community our lives. We're also saving significant uh, economic savings associated with the pain, grieving, suffering that, that arises from crashes. Take that into economic efficiency and it helps support good policies. I'll now pass over to Tim. Thank you. Right now, in my concluding remarks, uh, let's just uh, go through the consolidated findings. 
First of all, roughness intervention levels, which minim can minimise total transport costs, depend on the actual traffic level and its composition, which includes, of course, heavy vehicles and the cost of rehabilitation treatments. This is how we can manage uh, minimising transport, total transport costs by setting the roughness levels at an appropriate level. Lower cost preservation treatments combined, combining timely reseals and partial rehabilitation shape correction were shown to be highly beneficial compared to delaying treatments with high routine maintenance and holding costs. That was very evident from the cost, uh, the case studies studied and also actual road authority practice. Uh, most of the sprayed seal granular pavement cases, net agency cost savings were achieved with the optimum strategy as well as road user cost savings. So that's a win-win situation, supports again supports timely intervention. Accounting for crash cost savings can also, that can be derived from a selection of safety-related treatments has also been shown to significantly increase the net present value and the marginal benefit-cost ratio, making the ex examples of these cases substantially more viable. Two case studies were, um, which were examined for asphalt pavements, showed that for moderately traffic roads, very high costs of the treatments mean intervention levels need to be higher. However, for long life pavements on very highly traffic roads, early intervention definitely minimises costs. Just my concluding remarks on the work that's been done by the team of Tyrone and Renita and, and, and the input from all the various people on the project working group. The value of timely intervention, which was shown to minimise costs, this, this is a critical outcome. Uh, supporting levels of service by ensuring a fit for purpose treatment to maintain those levels of service being able to justify different levels of service based on road use. This is another way of achieving as best an equitable outcome as well as um, economic efficiency. Understanding the true demand of, of the uh, treatment is, is, uh, is, is, is needed because that will help you selecting the right appropriate treatment. Uh, the importance of counting for all costs. In these analysis, we took obviously count of uh, road agency costs, road user costs, which included the vehicle operating costs and table time savings. However, the additional benefit of uh, complementary safety treatments uh, does help enormously in the, in the vi economic viability and minimization of total transport costs. That ends our presentation at this stage, and I want to thank you for your attention. Thanks for hanging in there. It's been a long presentation. We look forward to uh, your um, questions. Thanks so much, team, and thanks, everybody. Uh, fantastic work. Um, can everybody join me for the Q&A? We have a few questions from our audience. Tim Don, Tyrone, Liam. Thank you. All right, I am going to take us to slide 21. Um, and the first question in relation to this slide, can you please elaborate a bit on how many roads do you have on the network which have passed the tipping point and their total length as well as the percentage in the overall network? Uh, that's a very good question. Uh, I because this work is done in 2017. My recollection is that we involved probably 
uh, around 9,000 kilometers total in length. We only uh, conducted the analysis based on size uh, 14 uh, spread seal. We excluded all the other type of uh, surfacing, uh, but I can probably look at uh, uh, I think for the exceed the projected life, probably a quarter, maybe a third in total sample is in that kind of situation. But our uh, practice generally, when reading uh, conduct resurfacing, any work programming is based on visual inspection. But we use the project the up under hardware model to assist them scope where they should do the inspection. So these two things not exactly fit to each other, but the up under hardware model is provide a general uh, guide for the practitioner to arrange their inspection. Then they use visual inspection as a final decision making to decide the, where the location of the work should be undertaken. I hope this gives you some background. Thanks so much, Chindon. There is uh, another question uh, for this slide. Um, so the life cycle cost for proactive maintenance peaks at remaining life 12 years, and then it decreases until zero. Uh, that's what's shown in the graph. So can you please explain this? Decrease to zero. You mean that zero, I assume you, you refer to the re zero remain life. Yeah. So when you, for example, when we, uh, if assuming the up-bandard model predict the zero life is 13 years, useful life, 13 years. So on this remain life, 13 years, which is the new seal. So that time you have a low uh, maintenance cost. But when you get into the older, the remain life starts reduced. But because during this useful surfacing life, the conditions are very similar because it's still waterproofing your permits. So the, there's not much variation on the maintenance. It's very flat. Only after a, you approach some kind of tipping point, the surfacing, because of the binder hardening, uh, oxidization, there's a crack appears, then the maintenance costs start to significantly increase, which is in the green area in this chart. Thank you. Um, Chizong, I'm going to take us to slide 33, where you talked about asset preservation strategy. Um, so the question here, what are the specific risks to pavement and what actions are being taken to understand and reduce those risks? Question for me, I presume, on that slide. Yeah. Um, well, obviously, a big risk that I discussed was the extent of cracking on the road network. So we have a lot of thin, older pavements um, with very poor subgrade conditions. So even though they might be in dry areas, when we do get heavy rain, they do present a very large risk to us. They do fail quite rapidly, even though they're lightly trafficked because the subgrade conditions are very poor. So drainage and waterproofing the seal is a major part of our strategy to minimize and mitigate those risks. 
Um, and the other thing is just the overall structural capacity, the strength of our pavements. We monitor that um, and we try to ensure that the length of the road network that have very low structural life, that we try to obviously target our pavement rehab program to restore the strength of those pavements, ensure that we don't have too much of the network that is um, exposed uh, and could fail rapidly following heavy rains as well. Um, and, and the shoulder ceiling, a big issue as well in terms of our rural network, we are looking to ensure we have wider seals to protect and reduce the um, ingress of water from shoulders. Thanks, Liam. Um, we have a few minutes left, so we're just going to take a couple of more questions um, and then finish the session. So I'm going to take us to slide 40, oops, 41, uh, 41 here. So um, what system is used for road classification, noting uh, differences across, um, across the Australian states and New Zealand? Okay, um, uh, thanks for the question. Um, the road classification it's like it's it's some it's actually to define the hierarchy of the road like it's like we did not use any uh, like fixed classification these are user definable like let's say in your network if you have like five road classes that becomes your road classification or how you want to deal with it like whether it's based on traffic or any other criteria based how you define your level of service that's that's becomes your classification in this case like we are not talking about here like any Osler's classification or anything this is not fixed this is just a uh, classification here means actually the road hierarchy how you are going to uh, define level of service for each of your like or for, for your whole network like if, you, if there are a different level of service based on different category or the importance of the road that's actually the road classification here so these are not fixed. These are mainly, this is a placeholder to define different hierarchy um, so that you can define different treatment interventions based on that. Um, thanks, Ranita. Um, oops, someone's mic is on. Yep, better. Okay. Okay. Yes. No, it's not. Um, um, I will try that the question. So are social costs and environmental costs, such as uh, CO2 emissions, um, added into user costs as suggested by literature? Sorry, um, I did not hear you properly, sorry. Mm -hmm. So are social costs and environmental costs, such as CO2 emissions, added into user costs as suggested no. by literature? No, here, here it's the road user cost here is a combination of the vehicle operating cost um, of coming from the rough road and also the additional travel time cost that's either a passenger or a, or a freight vehicle in my case if the road is very rough. Uh, can I just add, can I yeah, sure. can just add, it, add to that? I agree that Renita is correct in saying it's not added into this analysis, but it is possible to do uh, include emission costs on a uh, the cost of carbon emissions and uh, there's other issues like delay costs of uh, putting down treatments all these things can be handled it's just that the model is not designed to do that at the moment but it is very possible and we have done analyses taking these things into account in certain uh, contexts 
Well, okay, we're going to have one last question uh, about the tool. So is it up to the user to establish the treatment lifespan, lifespan intervals based on local conditions? Shall I answer this? Yes, it, it is up to the user, but what, what we do encourage uh, people to do is consider as wide a suite of evidence that you can. A, there's a lot of information about, we've quoted quite a bit in here. We know the starting points from unsurfacing lives, lives like the binder uh, oxidation model, etc. But the key is to talk to practitioners and see under what conditions it might last. You might also talk to some of your innovative surfacing designers and contractors and that they might be they might have evidence that some of their mixes are can push the bounds as well. So please do a good a good sweep of the knowledge because we've seen big variations and it's important to check them out. Thank you. Thanks, Tarun. Um, well, um, we are right on time. Um, two minutes over our time. So we are going to wrap up here. Thanks again um, to all of you. Thanks so much to our audience um, and your questions. Uh, we do have a couple of questions left and we will respond to those after the session. Um, so just a few words about our next session. The final session for this series um, will be held on the 18th of June, so please join us uh, for that session. We will explain the economic and um, customer-centered basis for justifying appropriate investment in road asset preservation and renewal. Um, on the 22nd of June, we will have a very interesting session. We will talk about emerging technology uh, designed to collect um, road pavement performance data. So there are more webinars on pavement. Uh, please visit our website to find out uh, more and to register. Um, and as usual, uh, once we close out today's session, a questionnaire will pop up on your screen. So please take a couple of minutes to send us your feedback. Uh, it really helps us to know what you liked or didn't like and what suggestions you have for future webinars. Um, and once again, the session today is being recorded and we will send you the link to the recorded uh, to the recording once it's published on our website. So thanks again, um, everybody. Stay well and safe um, and enjoy the rest of your day. See you next time. Thank you. Thank you very much.